Mikey. I got some great news for you, man. Ooh. I stopped playing Candy Crush. <laughs> Did you really? In real life. After our last episode, I have pretty much cut down my sugar intake almost uh, probably 90% or so. Not not entirely, but oh my I felt it was time to do something for my health. Oh, that's so cool. How do you decide like for sugar? Like to do sugar? So I've been I've been having some stomach issues lately for yeah. the past weeks. Um, yeah. and I've been trying to rule out what you know what is the issue there and sure. um, I think sugar actually wasn't the issue. <laughs> but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but now I've so I've been two weeks off that stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, I think I'm gonna try to continue this. Oh my um, gosh, me. Yeah. yeah, it feels pretty good. So and I think this is I think this is a good thing to talk about. Uh, because yeah. guess what the uh, two countries worldwide with the biggest sugar intake per person are. Oh no, is it us? Yep. <laughs> is it and yeah. you guys? I pulled you up. Guys yeah, we're, we're a proud second. So, according to two th 2016 data, this might have changed. So I obviously sure. changed the statistic significantly in the past 14 days. <laughs> um, but back in 2016, when I was still consuming heavily, um, the average American consumer ate 126.4 grams of sugar per day. Okay. Germany took second place with 102.9 grams of sugar per capita that year. Wait, see, see the Americans again? Uh, America, 126. Okay. Oh, okay. 126 thought, grams. Do you, know what oh the, uh, do you know what the recommendation is? Is it like zero? From the health what, authorities? Not, no, it's not. It? I mean, the health authorities are pretty generous, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I found different data but more or less between like 25 and 30 grams um you shouldn't mm. exceed that mm -hmm. so yeah 30 126 102 eh. yeah that's <laughs> a little bit more on average <laughs> little, on average right so there's, know, there's right? apparently some people even higher there's than some that. tales of distribution yeah while i've been doing that i've realized just how much sugar i've been eating before yeah yeah <laughs> so so just one of the things that I had every day, basically, um, we have this wonderful um, drink. Um, I'm not sure you had it in Berlin. It's called Club Mate. I don't think it's, I know. Yeah. Uh, so do, are you aware of this mate stuff, this South American stuff, this tea no. that they have? No. Yeah. So oh. it's based on that. Yeah. So it's so yeah. in South America they have it as a, a like from a teapot. Uh, yes. With like a straw. Okay, yes. Um, yes. But we have a, yeah. a spin-off, like a lemonade spin-off, but it's not as mm. as sweet as okay. you know all the other horrible lemonades that there are um, yeah. and it's sort of quite popular among party goers that's I think why they it's called club mate um, mm. and we also call it hackers fizz because the hackers <laughs> love to do it like in their you know <laughs> <laughs> night sessions and stuff yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, hacker browser and it's a bit tempting because um, actually at 100 grams which is usually uh, indicated it's only five grams of sugar uh, for this drink. Mm. So yeah, you could think, okay, that's that's pretty cool. Um, problem is, a bottle is half a liter, so that's already twenty-five grams. So that's pretty much already like the recommended sugar intake per day. And I've been having one of these like every workday, pretty much. Um, so so basically, 
<laughs> it should have stopped there and then I would right. have just been at the threshold. Um, but of course, especially in the winter months, months here in, in Berlin, uh, kind of added, yeah, I guess like a bar of chocolate also pretty yeah, much sure. almost every day. Um, and I've looked this up. So <laughs> the brand that I've been favoring is like another 53 grams of sugar on top. So I'm already, then I would already be at 75 or more. Or yeah. 78, actually, if I had a really a whole bar. Uh, so very like traditional German chocolate, really delicious. Um, yeah. It's called Ritter Sport. So it's advertised as, you know, the sporty snack. Um, <laughs> quite funny. Um, and it's been pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first off, just like looking around and realizing how much sugar occupies our life, like how many different parts it's been in. Like I, I noticed the other day it was in like some of the crackers I was eating. Mm. Yeah. It just, it's not places you would always expect. It's, yeah. It's great. So the other day, so this was already in the two weeks when I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, I got this um, actually um, advertised as bio uh, soup. Um, okay. In this, in the supermarket, yeah. so it was like you know, uh, prefabricated you know tomato soup, but biological. Sure. Um, so I was like, okay, that, that should be pretty safe. And then I actually looked at the label. Um, there's also sugar in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's a tomato soup, uh, but apparently, yeah, just to sweeten it up a bit. Yeah. My knowledge might be a little bit dated, but I know that for a long time, like the big batch soups and processing and that kind of stuff. So like. Mm. Uh, you know, tomato sauces or, you know, like the canned soup mm. that you're talking about, like they had to cook at a fairly high temperature, which would make it very bitter. So you end up seeing tons of salt and sugar added in mm. to sort of counteract mm. that. And I think could be wrong, but it's maybe in the sort of like early 2000s, like new processes came along. So they were able to reduce that. Mm. But like you see, like mm. a lot of the stuff just, you know, if you didn't have that sugar, if you didn't have that, like, it, yeah, it, it comes from some of the science of making things uh, safe to be on the shelf for a long time. Yeah, so so much hidden sugar. Yeah. Um, and we can talk a, li a little bit about it in a second. Um, this is the Americanist podcast. My name is Johannes Ehrmann over in Berlin, Germany. Sugar-free since two weeks. Uh, and I'm joined, as every time, by my dear friend and accomplished scholar over in Stanford, California, Mike Bayoki. Hey. Yeah, I, I want to. I'm really hyped. I, not sugar hyped, not, no sugar rush, but I'm I'm hyped about this. Yeah. But because it was also such a strange experience, the first thing that happened yeah. was like I got this insane headache <laughs> for pretty much almost 48 hours oh after I, I stopped this. Yeah. yeah. Can't can't have been from anything else. Yeah. It had to be, and and I'm not also the type to get headaches. Yeah. You know, I don't get headaches very often. Yeah. And it was this persistent headache in the back of my head, uh, which clearly, yeah, it felt like something, it almost felt like something being pulled out of me. Oh, uh, yeah. So I've never done any kind of form of detox, yeah. but I think actually I've, I've come away from like a powerful drug. Yeah. There. I mean, it is does. this like is this fair to say? I mean, this is like this is like a drug. Or? Yeah, I mean, like there's well, you know, this is not my area of expertise, right? But like, yeah, mm. I mean, like, isn't sugar like one of the strongest reactions that we have? If you like do like brain scans, like we are mm. uh, responding to it like at really high levels. I, I mean, like, I, it does not mm. surprise me that your brain would crave uh, this because mm. like you know it's producing it's giving you rapid access to the kind of energy that your brain loves to use so it's, it does not surprise me um mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, this is, there's a lot of complicated, like, sort of biology behind this, but, like, it, it messes around with your hormone levels and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it, mm-hmm. I've, I've never done this. You know, I've never gone mm-hmm. on a sugar detox, but, like... You should give it a try. I, I, I don't know, man. You're talking about, like, <laughs> migraines, essentially. Your, your soul being sucked out of your brain. <laughs> that, was, that was the first two days, or yeah. one and a half days, maybe. Yeah. And then, actually, ever since, I've been feeling pretty good. Mm. I, I think I felt more happy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, more, yeah, like, yeah, more energetic in a way. Um, yeah. Got a lot of stuff done. Yeah, not not so moody, I guess, as, as sometimes before. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and I've, I've been reading a little bit about it. I'm also not super obsessed about it. But, um, yeah, apparently, as you say, like, it messes around with hormones. It's basically, like... You know, having a few pieces of chocolate or whatever, like a, a snack bar with with lots of sugar in it, it jacks up your insulin level right. or your, your blood sugar level for a few hours, right. and then basically it goes not only to zero but to below zero, right. and then that's the craving that you're talking about. Yeah. And the, and the weird thing is the craving is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially in this, my go-to time would be, you know, after lunch, like kind of dessert time. Yep. Um, and so it's still there. So uh, I'm, I'm at you that feel it. So I'm. What I do now is like I try to have, like, a shu- like a sugar-free coffee or so, mm-hmm. like to just supplement it with something, or like a cappuccino with like oat milk or something. There's something of this is that that's behavioral, right? Like um, mm-hmm. some of it's biological, you know, the cravings mm-hmm. and stuff. But like some of it's behavioral, like you know, in that mm-hmm. afternoon period, you know missing a part of your routine like yes people can get big wins by uh, swapping out behaviors so like going for like a little bit of a walk or something like that or some sort of uh, thing that can get your mind off of it and but usually sort of in that period you're you're going through like a little bit of an energy lull um, so you're looking for sort of like pick-me-ups and that kind of stuff so yeah I mean doesn't surprise me that like a coffee would help or you know going for a small walk or something to get like like to, to get yourself out of like a uh, mm. a lull, uh, the doldrums mm. when it feels like you can't make any progress. I've been looking up the history a little bit of this uh, just before, yeah. um, and we can link to this in the show notes. There's like um, interesting like fact sheet of, of sugar consumption in a historical context as well. Um, so here's one of the facts that I found. In 1915, the average sugar consumption in the U.S. per person was 17.5 pounds per year. Um as of 2011, the number rose from 17.5 to 150 pounds of sugar per person annually. So we're talking about less than 100 years, basically, you know, pretty much the 20th century yeah. and almost like a tenfold increase in annual sugar consumption in the U.S. And of course, you know, we've talked just before Germany on the heels of the U.S. here and we could go down the list of, you know, Western, Western societies. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, and sort of like this is one of the things that I do know is like, do you know why? <laughs> no, I mean like from a political economic standpoint, I think that's actually like our bad. So America thinks of itself still as agrarian, right? Like a lot of farming and like big land uh. and that kind of stuff. And as part of that, like our politics are based around that, uh-huh. and so we put massive amounts of subsidies into production of different crops Mm -hmm. so like uh it's something like 
10%. So something like, I think it's like $6 billion per year essentially go to corn production. Mm -hmm. Like, so the federal government essentially pushes cash out to American farmers to grow corn. And it's something like a tenth of the overall American production of corn is just direct subsidies. So so, so something like $60 billion in, you know, like uh, GDP, you know, gross domestic product for corn. Mm -hmm. And then a tenth is just, yeah, the American government. But corn, I mean, corn equals sugar? It doesn't... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, basically, corn's got a couple different things. Like, so, first off, science. <laughs> like, so when you've got, a like, an excess of something, you throw a bunch of, like, engineering science people at it, they'll figure out different things to do with it. So, corn can be produced and is basically the hugest produ uh, per producer of sugar. So, if you think, like, cane sugar and that kind of stuff, like, that's not where most of our sugar internationally comes from. It's it's oh. things like corn. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like they, so everybody's like figured out food scientists have figured out tons of different ways to get, um, different products out of it. So, and yes, so like high fructose corn syrup is like the bedrock of a ton of like the junk foods that we think about. And it's just, uh, and the reason is because the American government has decided that we are agrarian or we have like a strong roots in farming. And so we're going to put just a huge amount of money into it. There's another thing, which is even more idiosyncratic or even more sort of like to the peculiar nature of America, is um, Iowa one, is one of the very first states that votes in the presidential election. They are a huge corn producer. So, like, everybody, all the presidents and all the different mm -hmm. campaigns fight for votes inside of mm -hmm. Iowa. So corn becomes a huge thing every four years. Uh, and they get pr they get promised so much. so like ethanol well for like uh, instead of like as replacing petrol you know gasoline like that's a thing that came out of because of the fact that Iowa has corn farmers and it's it's just like oh my gosh there's so many distortions here yeah. from the politics I mean Iowa clearly in a larger context maybe comparing for example to California or something. I mean, it's obviously super unimportant, right? I would say. Why is it that this has never been changed? Also, this this yeah sequence of um, primaries. Oh, we're we're thinking about it, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it's it, it, easier so, said than done. Yeah. Well, I think it's like sort of. It, it's like it's not gonna. Nobody's gonna change it until everybody decides to change it. <laughs> If you're seen as like, that, sounds like party, it's never gonna be changed. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's one of those things that it looks like it'll never change until it does, and it breaks, and then everybody's like, "Yeah, that needed to happen, right?" Mm -hmm. If you're seen as the one person or small, smaller party that doesn't want Iowa to go first, then I will beat you up, mm -hmm. and you won't get the power, mm -hmm. right? Like that's it. Sort of like helps set the narrative. And the thing is, like the the two first states who vote are Iowa and New Hampshire which are both very small states, mm. they are very, very white, and their economies don't look like the rest of the United States. But they have a huge impact on yeah. politics. It seems like a very ahistoric uh, thing yeah. to happen. I so am, the yeah. way you're describing these states is like, probably maybe the majority of states look like in 1900 or 1920. Yeah, that's fair. Or, yeah, know. that's fair. Yep. Yeah, no, there are, there are parts, like, so the Bay Area here, um, you know, around sort of where Stanford is, has more people than New Hampshire, 
uh, and it has way more diversity and it has maybe something like uh, three times the size of the economy of all of New Hampshire. Mm. Um, maybe even four. I'm just talking about the Bay Area. Mm. So there are different parts of the country that probably should vote mm. first because it does. they do represent, you know, a more of a wide mm. cross-section of America. So let, let's circle back to like yeah. corn. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like it's just so weird that how we think about ourselves has led to like through a couple different steps has led to how we eat right? mm. like you know like it may it makes corn cheap which makes sugar cheap mm. which makes our food you know more sweet and also we just love sugar right sugar is delightful yeah <laughs> um, and it's like you know like it's, it's a reward basically that's that's almost and let's yes. face it i mean I'm also sort of guilty as a as a father here because uh, I mean yeah. already our kids they kind of a reward is an ice cream for them or like a candy bar yeah. you know yeah. and so they're basically also raised in the and they will yeah. retain these memories of their childhood you know whenever something was nice and good um, or you know whenever they were rewarded something it was related to this sugar taste you know or this sugar it's rush. Like, Yeah, operative con yeah. conditioning or something yeah. like that. Yeah, basically we're like yeah. ringing Pavlov's bell. Yeah. Like yeah, and I think that's what I'm also fighting in this kind of yeah. reflex okay. that I that I have, you know, because it's it's kind of also, you know, in these times um, that we're living in right now, it's kind of like there's not so many rewards out there. Right. <laughs> like you can't mingle and stuff. <laughs> you just hit me right in the chest. Yeah, that's right. So, and I think th this winter it was even worse than, than other winters, you know, yeah. my sugar consumption. And I guess it's like this inbred, you know, reward system that we that we have. Yeah. You know, actually, I really want to, like, mm. say that again, what you just said, because, you know, sugar is just a, a thing, right? Like, and I think what we're looking at here is um, how we've been dealing with a traumatic experience. And, you know, I think both of us have started to think about coming out of this last year and all the tensions and that kind of stuff. And... And I think we're starting to decide how we make things better for ourselves and our families and the people around us. And like sugar is one, you know, one version of that. And I think you're right. There's a lot of things about sugar that will mess you up. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I think it's important to look back and be like, it was like a self-soothing, mm -hmm. you know, reward whenever th when other things mm -hmm. weren't feeling great. Um, yeah. yeah. It's important to see why we chose it. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um... And, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's really true that we kind of, um, yeah, maybe have entered this. I mean, um, yeah, you're obviously a little bit further ahead in this kind of, um, yeah, yeah, also rollout of, of the vaccines and kind of, you know, looking already more towards the light at the end of the tunnel. And we're yeah. also getting there now. Um, But yeah, it's also kind of, I guess it, ha it has been a period of, of self-reflection, um, if only because we had so much more time to ourselves than before. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Real up in our own faces. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I have a few more uh, uh, crazy sugar stats here. Yeah, um, please. It's actually, so even the governments seem to take quite a relaxed stand on it. So I found that the U.S. government is recommending no less than 13 teaspoons of sugar per day. <laughs> no less? Uh, well, no I probably I should probably... No, yeah, I mean, they're recommending <laughs> no, not more than 13 teaspoons. Oh, okay, okay. 
But I was yeah. like, there she, you know, recommending no yes. less than, <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. Yes, I see. <laughs> no, no, no. I, that was the mathematician. That was the mathematician. That's why English is not my first language. <laughs> so the U.S. government is saying, if you don't have more than 13 teaspoons every day, you're a bad American. Yes, that actually does sound like something we'd say. Yes. And eat all the butter and all that. Yes. Yeah, on top and, of it. And shoot your And guns. cream. Yeah. And, and whip. Anyway. I, it, it is, and, and part of it's like, um, this is, an, oh man, our, our government's so messed up. Um, <laughs> the other thing is that like, the people who are in charge of pro producing those recommendations mm. are also in charge of um, fostering the development and like continuation of our um, farms. So th that the Food and Drug Administration, like, and like, uh, they are in charge of both like putting like finding markets for our farmers mm. and for producing our uh eating recommendations and that kind of stuff. so like is there a little bit of conflict of interest yeah there's a real conflict of interest we've talked a little bit about the hidden sugars also um here's the craziest thing that i was able to pull up um in october last year uh, in ireland uh, there was a court ruling Uh, judging that uh, Subway bread, so bread from the famous the U.S. sandwich, sandwich chain Subway, uh, is actually not allowed to be called bread anymore because of its exceeding sugar uh, content. Oh, um, no, you're yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can also link to it. Uh, it's, a, it's an article from The, uh, from the Guardian, uh, the British Guardian. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, so oh, wh whoever is interested in, in the exact limits and so forth. But yeah, so um, I don't know how they call it now in, in, in Subway in, in yeah, Ireland. Like a donut? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, a sweet. Would you like a, I don't know, a, a teriyaki sweet? Or I don't know. I, was like, <laughs> I have absolutely no idea how they're marketing it now. Uh, I don't know if they're still allowed to say sandwich. Um, oh, that's super interesting. But that's, I mean, how crazy is that? Something oh, yeah, that is this clearly marketed as bread which is usually when yeah. you look at these food pyramids as you know considered as one of the like the basis right. of our diet um right. you know that people have been eating for centuries as like their basic food and this is actually yeah filled with sugar i have to look this up because like what do you what do you like uh that means that the bread is so far away in terms of its sugar content that they can differentiate it from like the local bread that's insane <laughs> that's insane i need to go look up like that ruling um aren't they the ones who like develop soda bread i have that wrong isn't that like a really sweet i don't know so <laughs> what it says here uh, a six inch sub roll from subway contains five yeah. grams of sugar the same as two plain digestive biscuits okay so yeah it's like a they're just angry because their cookies are yeah. not very good actually it comes it's here. being trumped Sorry for that word. Oh, please don't. Yeah. It's, it's being exceeded uh, by the McDonald's Big Mac bun at 5.8 grams. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, I mean, like, two proud American companies living the Candy Crush dream. <laughs> the Candy Crush. You know, like, uh, they basically, McDonald's has, like, the most outstanding genius-level food scientists. Like, that burger those fries have been engineered by a bunch of like minds to be the most perfect thing for our taste buds like they're just like 
the the insane level of their science they basically are doing the equivalent of nasa they're putting people on the moon but with taste buds Mm -hmm. those guys yeah so i have no doubt that that is the most perfectly efficient um bun ever so food may not be um your uh, area of expertise uh, per se uh, but healthcare is um, and the yeah. two are related, right? So true, what, yeah. we're, what we've been talking about um, is a massive healthcare factor as well. Um, yeah. And so sugar yeah. is um, the Western slash American diet generally is, um, you know, too much meat, too much yeah. fat, too much sugar. Um, and that combined with, you know, the modern lifestyle of not moving enough, not walking enough, not exercising enough is leading to a lot of problems, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, it's terrifying when you think about it, like, it's summed up over 30, 40 years. Like, when you start hitting, you know, your 40s, like, your body has just gone through so many different cycles and over caloric and bad caloric, you know, intake. Yeah. And then the healthcare system is, like, set up to try to take care of you. So, like, our healthcare system is mostly built around acute care, so short periods like you know we'll fix your heart because it's not working we'll put in some Mm. new veins kind of thing we do not here in the united states have any incentive and i can go through all the details here about Mm. very much why like we have no incentive to do preventive care Mm. um like to help people early on and our system is actually set up to push some you know like to basically offload that risk to other people it's it's horrible (laughs) there's there's no reason uh, sorry, there's no way our healthcare, or sorry, our insurance system, and therefore our healthcare would ever take care of someone for the long run. It's just a horrible system. Okay, so so if I understand this correctly, you are basically um, letting people eat very very unhealthily for most of their lives, uh, and then once they have a heart attack, or once they have a stroke, um, yeah. then you basically um, you cover. Um, you know, you fix it, you put these like stents or whatever, or like, you know, bypasses or, you know, you, you just fix, and, and you fix that broken system inside the body. And by the way, we'll do a phenomenal job. <laughs> we, we will like the, the level of care at that, mm-hmm. like at that point is outstanding. Mm-hmm. But, but we let so many people get to that point because mm-hmm. nobody's in charge of stopping before we get there. And there's no like sort of health education or not enough of that? There is health, you know, so over and over again, it's been shown that, like, it's not an information deficit, right? It's not like like, people don't know that eating, Mm. you know, or not exercising or living this kind of lifestyle will beat them up. Like, they know that. They can tell you that. Nobody's surprised. Mm -hmm. So it's not a health, it's not an information deficit model. It's a behaviors kind of model where you're getting rewarded for other things and and the behaviors that lead to this, you know, um, uh, aren't being changed and there's there's no reason nobody's ever going to gain financial incentive or nobody's you know gonna yeah so so nobody's watching out for you and and we then have this belief that we, we don't do a very good job with like public health and getting people coordinated here we sort of pretend that everybody's on their own and we're individuals and you should be responsible for yourself and and that's just the way the system works and then at the very end when the consequences that sum up over decades finally hit you and you have a real bad heart attack or you need like to have a stent or something like that you now the system will kick in and, and deal with a very high consequence issue your system places a lot of trust and belief in the individual 
But judging from the results, um, like the morbidity in in the U.S. um, and also the cost of healthcare, and you know the number of obese people, and we could go down the list. Uh, I think the U.S. pretty much on top of the list there uh, everywhere. This basically would tell me well the individual is either not responsible enough or mature enough or isn't offered enough healthy options. I would point to that our lifestyles that are subsidized by the government are not really compatible with good health. So there's a couple different things going on. One is our food is very, very subsidized. So you get large quantities of food very cheap, um, very cheaply. And the... Other thing is that like we spread our country out a lot, so people live very far from each other, and so we don't have walkable areas. A lot of the United States, you drive from place to place, and so there's not the usual sort of, you know, walking from here to there or using even mass transit, um, which would require some more walking and stairs and that kind of stuff. And so a lot of Americans don't have daily exercise or exertion put into their life because we just haven't built our our cities that way our 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 homes like that so it's it's a couple different american policies that have led to a situation that looks like that so some of the other places that you'll see this i think it's like the united arab emirates um also has really out of control obesity problem and it's a similar kind of dynamic there where you know stuff is really subsidized the government pays out a fair amount of money uh into people's pockets so food is relatively cheap Mm -hmm. Um, and then also their situation is such that it's like scalding hot outside. So, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of people use ma- uh, use transit that's air conditioned and so they don't move around outside very much. So similar kinds of dynamics. Hmm. Do you see some kind of change happening already? You know, again, I don't want to make everything politics, mm-hmm. but like uh, even food has become sort of politically entrenched in, mm-hmm. in, here in the United States. So... The sort of conservative right wing is like, I'll eat what I want. Mm. You know, like the liberals are namby pamby, like they're eating twigs and berries and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, so there is a, a politics of food that's mm. important here. Um, and there's a, there's other politics about mm. like rich and poor and mm. that kind of stuff. Um, but I, uh, no, uh, I'm not. A, I'm not seeing or aware of any major cultural mm. shift mm. Um, in terms of food and, mm. and exercise and that kind of stuff. I think it. I think it's probably wrong to think about the individual, and I would think a lot in the United States about the systems level. Mm. I think we should, you know, switch how we are taxing and subsidizing food. Like, sort of more processed food should probably, ha- you know, we should start raising taxes on those because, like. You know, it would, it would just shift how people are spending their dollars. But I also think it's really important to not overlook how we build our cities here in the United States. We are so car focused and that moves all of the energy away from a human body and towards this machine, which is like super cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. Cars are freaking awesome. Mm. But it just means that our bodies don't get taxed and don't get used in the way that, you know, mm. in a regular way. For, so I think until we start seeing those kinds of changes, we're not going to really see a major shift in Americans in general. So we're already nearing the end of our time for today. Um, but I think yeah. this whole healthcare topic um, and also the makeup yeah. of the healthcare systems um, yeah. is definitely worth another episode. And maybe next time we should dive much deeper into that because I think you can yeah. give a lot of insights uh, in that because you've, you've 
spend a lot of time yeah. researching healthcare. A lot of time, uh, yeah. Already when we were both uh, students in Philadelphia, you were already, I think, focusing on, on healthcare. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah. I think you even, even helped the university uh, at some point. You can tell us all <laughs> about right. that next time. Sure, yeah, that's right. So that's just an amazing story that you absolutely have to share. Yeah, and I think this is like a, a good good note to end on. Um, that's uh, actually one of us has been making an impact on the healthcare system in the US. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think we can end it for uh, with that here. Um, it's always great talking to you. And by the way, I'm just so glad that you've noticed something in your life that you want to change and you've been going for it. That's cool. That's really cool. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for your insights, Mikey. Um, Do follow us on Twitter and Facebook um, and subscribe to us um, on iTunes, Spotify and all the podcast apps um, and leave positive ratings everywhere everywhere you can. Uh, We will be forever grateful. Thanks for listening. Take care. All the best.